Hey there, welcome to Vince and Jason Save the Nation. If you've been with us at the beginning, glad to have you back. If this is the first time you've seen us, thanks for stopping by. The point of this show is to have a right and a left perspective on some of the biggest issues of the day and to get rid of that nonsense, corporate media squabbling and figure out whether or not there's some things we can agree on. And if we disagree, try and convince each other of what's right. Uh, again, I'm Vince Colonnese. This is my buddy, Jason Nichols. And if you like what we're doing, please subscribe anywhere you can find a podcast and definitely on the Daily Caller's YouTube channel. Again, this is Vince and Jason Save the Nation. It's a Friday show. Jason, what do we got going on? So, I mean, there's a lot to discuss, obviously. And right now, I think at the top of the agenda is infrastructure. Now, of course, there's a lot going on uh, in terms of infrastructure. You know, there's been a lot of ground that I think on the on the right and the left that has been closed, but we're still, I think, a little bit of a ways away from a deal. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you uh, about what you felt about that and about the two sides and their positions. Before I do that, I'm going to do something that I normally never do, and that is I want to give props to a corporate entity. You know, I never do that, but I want to <laughs> give props uh, to Ally Bank because they just canceled overdraft fees, which uh, if you look recently, uh, I think it was uh, JP Morgan mm -hmm. over the pandemic, over 2020 made $1.5 billion on overdraft fees. Uh, I think Wells Fargo was 1.3 million, 1.3 billion, I'm sorry. Did I say million? I meant billion. And then um, Bank of America made $1.1 billion on overdraft fees during a time when America was struggling uh, to pay their bills and keep their lights on. Uh, right. They were making extra money on that. And Ally Bank has finally come along and actually been an ally to the American people and canceled overdraft fees. And I'll tell you, that has a personal thing for me, not because I get overdrafted now, but <laughs> I remember in college, I'll tell you what, in college, I was going to go on a date with Paige Hernandez and I got a fake fee from AOL. This should tell you how old I am. But AOL gave me a, uh, you know, a charge that was wrong for a couple hundred bucks. And I was going to go out and I checked my account right before I went out and I was in the negative and I had an overdraft fee. Yeah. And I <laughs> couldn't go out with Paige Hernandez and I never got anywhere with her. And I Wait, still blame me. that overdraft fee. And uh, of course, uh, the bank that I was using, I won't say which bank because I still use them and I don't want uh -huh. to. You know, now, this is where I should point out that that was probably a good thing because it led to the happy marriage you have now. So I should, Absolutely. this is right. I jump in on your wife's behalf, but wait a second. So wait, Paige Hernandez, you say it like she's famous. Was she, is she a famous person? I'm just missing this or is just, you're just saying that's what her name was. No, she, she's not famous. Shout out to her. She is an actress, uh, but she's not famous. Gotcha. But she was famous in college. We thought she was you know, the cat's meow. And so I was, sure. I was really hyped, man. That's like, right. I'll tell you this, man. I washed my sheets that day, you know, <laughs> which in college was a big deal. Uh, you cracked me up, man. Okay. So allied yeah, bank, anyway. wait a second, wait a second. So they get rid of overdraft fees. What does that mean? So if you, if you, I know, I understand you get an overdraft fee. If you take out too much money, you don't have enough in your checking account and they right. hit you with a fee. So if you overdraft now, what do they give you a line of credit? Is that what happens? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I'm, I'm just assuming that they, you know, they send you notices that you, you've overdrafted. And if yeah. you uh, don't, uh, you know, once you pay that back, you're not charged any kind of penalty on top of it. Yeah. So, I've always you know. thought that, like, 
I mean, not that it's good for anybody really, because like once you're at the point where you're zero dollars in your checking account, it's really not good to be going into debt at all. But if you have to, I've always thought like banks should just turn that instead of overdraft fees, turn it into lines of credit, like, you know, extend people, like give them, give them maybe a thousand dollar line of credit just in case they do overdraft. Uh, I always thought that'd be a good practice. Maybe that's not right. You know, I don't, I'm not steeped in the numbers and maybe that kind of person is the kind of person that probably the credit is so bad that you, the bank would be taking on a lot of risk to give yeah. people thousand dollar lines of credit. But maybe I always thought that's the way it should no, be. That, that, you know, that people make mistakes. Sense. I think that makes perfect sense to give people a line of credit. Um, and, you know, there's interest on that or whatever. Yeah. And, and that makes perfect sense to me. But the thing because is, you never no, know. You never know when AOL is going to all of a sudden charge you too much money and you can't go out with Paige Hernandez. Yeah, and these, exactly. these banks need to be there for you. Exactly. Shout out to Paige Hernandez. I'm actually going to send this to her. Good. Um, and, and shout out to her husband as well. Uh, but yeah, definitely, um, you know, these overdraft fees, uh, the way that these banks have exploited them at a particular time when America has been struggling yeah. on the left, the right, black, white, doesn't matter. Uh, Americans were, were having a tough time. People were losing their jobs. And one of the effects of that is people didn't have enough money in their, in their checking accounts before we started getting uh, the, the extra help from the government. It's a nightmare. And, you know, the banks were making billions and billions and billions of dollars upon that. It's a nightmare. And they're not going to give that money back. But let's get back to infrastructure. So I okay. want to get your perspective on that. And I bet we're not quite as far apart. Um, as you know, maybe they are in Washington, which I hope. Right. Yeah. So infrastructure is, I think it is interesting what's going on. I think that it's interesting that the latest deal that Joe Biden has offered to the Republicans is the same exact price tag as the one that Donald Trump wanted. Remember $1 trillion. That was the deal that Trump wanted. Uh, Joe Biden now saying $1 trillion. I guess the devil's in the details. I don't really know if I, I don't know what the breakdown of that trillion dollars in spending actually is for Joe Biden. Because remember, the initial deal that he rolled out did include, yes, some infrastructure spending, the way we think about it traditionally, right? Like roads, bridges, ports, right. even broadband, uh, you know, water, pipes, those types of things where you can say, okay, these, these are kind of shared areas where Republicans and Democrats have both said, yeah, that's infrastructure. But then also in the initial deal that Joe Biden had and in some of the later offers he made to Republicans, he was including this giant category that they refer to as human infrastructure, which is it's just really a euphemistic way of jamming other policy priorities into an infrastructure package. Right. So things like uh, I think I think they included free college, free community college in there and universal pre-K. And they were like kind of like baking in all these other policy priorities that nobody's ever been like, oh, yeah, that's an infrastructure package. And, and, and in fact, that initial deal, less than half of it, less than half, I think that the most generous estimates were that about 40% of that original package was real deal infrastructure to support uh, American communities and uh, the American economy. So what I'm hoping is, and I'm afraid I'll probably be disappointed, is that the current trillion dollar offer that Biden is, has out is real deal infrastructure and we leave all those other issues to other pieces of legislation that Congress can bat around if it wants to, but get infrastructure passed. I think Republicans and Democrats have a lot of agreement on that. Well, so I, I think, um, you know, number one, I, I would say in terms of uh, what you called human infrastructure, I think what would help communities is to have universal pre-K 
and to have a free community college and those kinds of things that you offer. But I, I would also agree with you that perhaps that should be in another bill. I, I can I can maybe agree there. I think the disagreement between Republicans and Democrats and the distance that they have is where the money is going to come from. Right. Um, the Republicans believe that they only want $250 billion of new money. Yes. And they don't want anything to, ta- to uh, touch the tax cuts of 2017, um, which you know overwhelmingly helped the rich and overwhelmingly helped uh, corporations to pay no taxes. Um, but at the same time, Joe Biden, on the other hand, initially, uh, his first offer was $2.2 trillion, and it's down right. to $1 trillion. He went to $1.7 uh, and now he's he's down to a trillion because, you know, people really want to get this done. And there's a lot in there that will help communities. But I think the distance, again, is where the money is going to come from. And yes. Joe Biden wants to increase corporate taxes uh, to at least 25 percent, where uh, Trump, the Trump tax cuts cut them down to 21 percent, uh, all the way down from 35 uh, in the Obama years. Um, so. 25 is, I think, a pretty decent compromise. Well, in fact, in fact, the move he pulled yesterday that's being reported is now he supports a 15 percent minimum tax for corporations, for big corporations. Uh, And uh, the reason he says 15 percent minimum, what we're talking about is that in those numbers you just referred to, most a lot of corporations don't end up paying any tax like the big ones. A lot of them end up paying zero tax. In fact, last year, Fortune 500 companies, 55 of the Fortune 500 companies paid zero percent in federal tax. So what Biden is suggesting is, okay, what I want to do is establish a 15 percent minimum tax for all of those super wealthy corporations. Now, I can see the appeal to that. I don't like corporations making massive profits and then not having the same burden that you and I do when we make money for the work that we do. That makes sense. I get nervous with corporate tax hikes for an obvious reason. The impact on guys like you and me and the people within the sound of my voice, when the cost of goods go up, commensurate with whatever the fees are to those companies, right? Because they always pass on those fees to their consumers. So as much as like, sometimes it feels like a righteous victory, like, yes, we got to the corporations, we got them to pay their fair share. You know, the burden ends up getting borne by consumers anyway. Uh, yeah. And, so, and then- Go ahead, I'm sorry. And no, just one other element here. The the money you're talking about, how Republicans want $250 billion more. Uh, I think uh, that sounds about right. The reason they're saying, okay, we need to generate a little bit, relatively in government terms, $250 billion is a lot of money, but $250 billion in, in government terms, the reason they're saying that's that's really the bill in front of us is because right now we have over $700 billion in money that has not yet been spent that was allocated from prior COVID relief packages. So what Republicans are saying is, what are we doing? We've we, we, COVID, we're on the upswing. Things are improving dramatically. We've got all this, this allocated money that has not yet been spent. Let's reallocate it to something that's truly good for the country, which is infrastructure. This is something we all agree on. Let's do it. That number, 700 billion, is about 10 times as much right now as what Joe Biden is willing to do. He wants to do like 70 billion bucks of that cash. Republicans are saying, no, man, go for the whole enchilada. Get as much of this money out the door and into infrastructure as possible. And then we don't have to spend that much more. I think that makes a lot of sense. So here's here's the thing. Uh, Getting getting back to your earlier point about corporate tax cuts. Um, Now, and and you're right, uh, Joe Biden wants 15 percent minimum because with all the tax loopholes 
Amazon, Chevron. We, we already talked about Amazon and Jeff Bezos and the fact that Amazon, Chevron, Starbucks, and these major corporations reported profits, but owed zero in corporate taxes. The average right. Fortune 500 company paid 8.8% um, in corporate taxes. Um, so even with that 21%, that's probably the smaller corporations who don't have the teams and teams of accountants to figure out uh, tons of corporate loopholes uh, where they can actually end up in finding tax shelters and all that. Uh, they actually end up paying the 21%. But in most cases, big corporations end up paying, you know, not even half of that. And, you know, the, the behemoth corporations like Amazon, Chevron, and Starbucks end up getting away with murder, not paying anything. That is not fair to you or me. And I understand what you're saying about uh, things being passed on to uh, the consumer. We can right. certainly go into that. And, I, and I'm I'm ready to go into that, definitely. Um, but also on top of that, as I was, I, I talked about banks earlier, banks kept $32 billion that they would have otherwise paid in taxes after the Trump tax cuts of 2017. And corporate tax revenue fell by $135 billion in 2018. We deserve to get that money back. We deserve now, again, reallocating funds. That, I agree with that as well. If, if there are places where there, there are unspent funds and yeah. they, you know, maybe a portion of that, I wouldn't say all of it should be spent here, especially if you're not going to include that human infrastructure, which we're going to need money for. But, you know, which pre-K helps you and me, you know, as, as fathers and, and, you know, with our children, uh, having young children, that would help all of us in many ways. But if, if you want to use a portion of that, I'm with that too. But these corporations who make most of their money in the United States should have to pay back into our system. Right. You know, and, you know, they're fighting unionization. They don't want to pay taxes. We can't let them get away with that. And I think that's somewhere where you and I, you know, from what I, I know of you, uh, this is something I think we can agree on. $135 billion plus $32 billion from, from the... Uh, from the banks that literally price gouged the American people during a pandemic. Look, that That's just not right. And we yeah, can get that and spend I, it on roads and bridges and, and getting rid of lead pipes that harm people and, and air pollution and all these, you know, I think righteous things that come out of a, a good infrastructure bill. Yeah, look, wealth, I don't think wealth needs to be punished for one, A. Uh, B, I think that, uh, you know, companies who, were incubated in the United States of America should uh, return the favor, definitely. Uh, and that means also not like shipping all of our jobs to China in the process. I think that's an important component to this. Also, all this government policy, here's the thing. So with the, with the Trump tax cuts, um, there were a lot of people in the middle class who derived benefits, but not at the level, you're correct, as the corporations. The corporations got much higher benefits out of this as a uh, if you just look at the percentage share of who derive the benefits. That's not good. You need a system that truly supports a thriving middle class and make sure to cut them in on the deal because guess what? They are the engine that drives the country's economy. And the only way you have a healthy country is if you have a thriving middle class. So that's that's where the, the Trump tax cuts fell short. It's also last year in the pandemic, 
who derived all the benefits, who came out richer, who came out uh, way better off than they were these gigantic corporations, no question. And who suffered? It was like middle-class people and people who don't have lobbyists who were crushed uh, because of government shutdowns across the country. I'll give you an example. And this is a small scale example in California. Uh, this is, and again, this is, I, this, I think this is just an example of people who have access to the government versus those who don't. In California, Hollywood was given ridiculous exemptions to all of the shutdowns, yet the average mom and pop restaurant had to have its doors shuttered. The only reason for that, that's at a California level, is because Hollywood's got the lobbyists. They've got the access to the government. They've got the access to the people who make the decisions. And so the same thing that happened in a place like California on a smaller scale was happening at the federal level as well. So when all of a sudden we were sending out COVID relief over the course of the last year, the biggest bailouts went to the companies with the most access. Uh, and even the PPP loans, think about the way those rolled out. Those were supposed to be for small businesses. How many big corporations had their hands inside of that money at the expense of small businesses who ended up getting on the phone, waiting on hold, never getting through, and never getting access to that funding that was designed to rescue them? I am, I am with you. I, I think we are together on this issue, on the issue of like... The government is supposed to work well for the people, not the select few who have a crony capitalist uh, access to the levers of power. Yeah, I, I, I think we agree 100%. Um, well, not 100%. I think mostly we, we agree. Um, I think the only thing that may be a nuance, I mean, I heard you critique the tax cuts in some ways, um, and I, I would probably critique them even more uh, in terms of who they benefited. I, I don't think that they benefited working people and certainly they won't benefit working people in the future. We know well, let me let me let me tell you how they benefit working people. I know for a fact, like most of the most of the working class people I know, when I say working class, I mean there's like middle class people I know, they made more in their paycheck each month. They kept more of their own money each month after the Trump tax cuts. That's true. And there's been a lot of studies on this subject and a lot of people they they improved their take home pay, which is a good thing. The other part where they did derive a benefit is if they have a 401k, like a lot of people do, Sure, um, they, they were able to kind of, you know, get some of the benefits of how well many of these corporations were doing uh, spilled over to them in their portfolios. And that is a nice effect. But again, I just don't think it's anywhere near the scale as what we saw people who had access uh, to the levers of power get. So 55% uh, of Americans, uh, if I have my statistics correct, about 55% of Americans are invested in the stock market, which means 45% of Americans are not. Um, right. So that means, you know, some people who would call themselves middle class, I'd say middle class is kind of this amorphous uh, identity that we really don't fully uh, have a clear definition of what middle class is. But I, I would say that uh, because there's some poor people calling themselves middle class and there's some relative, relatively well-off people who are calling themselves middle class. But, uh, you know, there's 45% of Americans who are not invested in the stock market and did not get that. Now, again, by 2027, they say working class people will pay more taxes under these current Trump tax cuts. And any real benefit was killed by the trade war with China. Now, again, I know China bad, you know, uh, but Trump, the Trump tax, uh, when he taxed imports, Chinese imports, that was passed on to the consumer and the CBO stated that uh, the real household income because of the tax on Chinese imports reduced 
by $1,200 or $1,277. So again, this isn't, uh, you know, uh, you know, like my man, Richie, shout out to Richie, uh, my fate, one of my favorite, you know, uh, conservatives out there. This isn't a Trump orange man, bad moment. This is right. just talking about what's actually happened from these tax. Well, cuts, you know, you know, benefited the wealthy. And that, uh -huh. and that's my problem and didn't benefit as much guys like you and me. So their take home pay may be one thing. I agree with you. I think it was uh, take home pay went up $65 but your real household income reduced by $1,200. All right. So on the, on the China thing, um, one, I, I know for a fact, like if you, if you look at some of the early coverage of the Biden administration, one of the things, I can't remember the name of his trade representative off the top of my head, but I, I believe it's a woman who's the trade representative. I may be wrong. But the point is um, you've got the Biden administration in the early days kind of admitting behind the scenes that, yeah, actually the Trump, the, the Trump posture towards China was effective and it was effective, but there were some limits to it, right? So right. Trump accomplished about half of what he wanted to accomplish. His goal with China was basically to impose these tariffs and to reshore as much as he could American manufacturing. The first part where he imposed burden on China, the effect was it did disempower China to an extent. Um, many of our supply lines actually moved to other countries, mostly in Asia. So now we're getting more product from, from places like Singapore, and India and a lot of American companies who were doing business in China have decided, okay, well, actually, we're going to reroute where we do our manufacturing and then send it to the United States. That's good in the sense that it disempowers our chief adversary on the planet, China. Downside, not that much came back to the United States, not that much in terms of reshoring uh, manufacturing here in America. So that's, and that's a huge step. So, you know, if we were talking about kind of like the economic impact of, Oh well, tariffs on China are going to lead to higher consumer prices in the United States, which is essentially what you're what you're getting at. That's true, although that was mitigated to an extent by the fact that American companies were actually leaving for other countries because of the pressure Trump placed on China successfully. No, I'd, and and again, I, I agree with you that there is some amount of pressure that needed to be put on on China and on President Xi. I'm 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 with you there, and I think China, in, in many ways. Um, there are some dangers that that China uh, presents not only to the United States, but some of the things that China and, and we can get into this. I won't go too deep into the woods here. I could, but the the things that China is doing in Africa and in Latin America and a lot of the developing world uh, is going to hurt them. Um, and I I think that China definitely needed to be confronted. Um, and I think. We assume, I think there's an idea that, that Trump was uh, confronting them in a way that was responsible. I think that in many ways, it looked like he was just being really tough. And then there were times where it just wasn't quite as effective as it could have been. I think confronting them was the good, you know, was a good thing. The, well, the was nobody, I mean, there is, there is no politician in that has been more responsible for realigning our our uh, our posture towards China than Donald Trump, not not a single one. So I mean, if and it's actually kind of interesting. It's one of the few policy areas I've noticed that the Biden administration hasn't fully recoiled from. Right. So there's a lot yeah. from the Trump era that they've just completely rejected. They take the complete opposite position. Well, uh, I and think there are a few things that they haven't recoiled from. They're, they're, no, not. and and that's giving credit to both Biden and Trump. You yeah. know what I mean? There there are a few things. I think there, there are some things where they came in and they're like, this is a mess, or this is morally wrong. 
or, or whatever, or we right. just have a political disagreement. But there are some things, particularly when it comes to talking about our, our international uh, adversaries or some of our international uh, allies, I think they take a different posture towards our allies, particularly in Europe, than, than Trump, who tended to create kind of an adversarial relationship with some of our allies. Yeah. But, you Although, know, on, on Israel, there has not really been a big change. Um, there's, there hasn't been a big change, uh, you know, in terms of China. I think that there's, there's some similarities when it comes to foreign policy. Um, I, and I know that with some of the domestic policy, it makes it seem as though Joe Biden is this big leftist. But Joe Biden is still Joe Biden. He's still probably, I would argue, more more Kristen Cinema or Joe Manchin than he is AOC. <laughs> All right, now 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 we've entered crazy talk. One second, oh. one second. Here's this is Catherine Ty. Let me see. Can you see her? Yeah, she's the United States Trade Representative now, and she's um she's the one who's uh who's maintained a lot of Trump's posture towards China, and and we'll see we'll see what that looks like uh in the Biden administration. I'm hopeful. I I hope it I hope it works. Uh, on the idea, though, that Biden is like somehow, you know, the moderate, that is the way he campaigned, that's for sure. And it is one of the appeals that um, that certainly helped him win the Democratic primary uh, and probably by extension, the general election. But that's not the way he governed. I mean, look, even the people within the White House are saying this is the most liberal president to ever occupy the White House. Well, uh, that, but, but hold on. Hold on real quick. Since, since you call me crazy, which I think, come on, <laughs> we don't do that here. But. Um, I'm just saying you entered crazy land. I'm not saying Jason Nichols is crazy. You just took a foot and you put it right into crazy land. No, I, I disagree. But here's the thing. I, um, I think Joe Biden, of course, wants to satisfy uh, all sides of things. And there are a lot of people, you got to understand, he's getting tons of criticism for this infrastructure bill and for not taking a hard line and going um, with a budget reconciliation which he can do without Republican support. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. No, Joe Manchin rolled it out. Joe Manchin is, and, and you know what, with Joe Manchin, I understand. I know I'm going to get, you know, I get hit from the, from the left and the right. So I I'm, I'm good with it. Uh, But Joe Manchin, I keep telling some of my friends, look, you want to on the left, you want to win in Pennsylvania and take to me seat. That's possible. You want to take Ron Johnson's seat? Yeah, I think that's very possible. Um, if you maintain Raphael Warnock and, and Kelly, then you're going to have a nice, you know, little padding to pass these kind of budget, budget reconciliation uh, and measures and things like that. But I'll tell you, Joe Manchin is the best you are going to do in West Virginia. Right. You are so, not going to do better in West Virginia. So all of this, we hate Joe Manchin thing. I, I would, I would fall back off of that. You, you know? know. Let me ask you. Can I ask you a question about this? There's a um. I, I've been noticing some. Of, I've noticed in some of the coverage that uh, there are some Democrats. Uh, I think in the Biden administration, sort of anonymously being quoted, or maybe actually no. This is these are um Senate Democrats being anonymously quoted, who are of the position that are like, look, Biden runs the tables, Democrats run the table. They've got the House, the Senate. They've got the White House. Uh, so as a result, there's a gigantic mandate for Biden's agenda. And therefore, just like, like, let's barrel past everybody and pass everything that we want and get it done and like stop with the nonsense. But that word mandate, if you've got a Senate that's split 50-50 and requires Kamala Harris to do a tie-breaking vote, are you of the opinion, for real, are you of the opinion that Joe Biden and his party have a mandate right now? Well, I, I think uh, there are a lot of, 
people on the left. Um, and, I, and by the left, I mean, le you know, center left all the way to what in a, the United States we call the far, far left, which is not really far left if we look at it on a, on a global scale. But in the United States, what we would call the far left. Um, I think there are a lot of people who over the past four years saw Republicans and particular Mitch McConnell just basically bogard and do whatever he wanted. And under the Obama administration, when Obama was literally trying, like that was his whole thing. He wanted to be this uniter, this, uh, this figure that he thought could be, you know, could pull people from the right and the left and do what we're trying to do with Vincent Jason Save the Nation which you know was gonna work for some. I know there are some people who are like, I can't watch this. Nichols is talking too much. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is the Daily Caller. Okay, let me, you know uh, I mean? let me let me let me pause here for a second. No yeah. more reading the comments. All right, let me let me handle yeah, reading the comments. Yeah. I, I'll start I, I through wanted the comments. To comment, I wanted to like participate with with our audience. Like I, I thought we were gonna have good faith conversations. No, that, we are that's actually. What I here, wanted to do, and now I realize I can't read the comments and I can't respond because okay. gonna be me, something racist or gonna be something no. that. Here's what you can do. I'll let you finish your thought in a moment, but since we're talking about the show and kind of the nature of it real fast, yeah. I've gotten such good feedback. I've got some people in my life who are like not hyper politically interested. They're just not, they're not obsessed with the day-to-day -day of politics. They're not assuming, consuming all the news. They haven't picked a cable channel that serves them 24 seven. They, they don't, they haven't tailored their social media feeds for all politics all the time of whatever their political persuasion is. I've gotten some feedback from people who are of the opinion that Look, I don't like being spun. I don't like watching even media that I basically think I agree with because I feel like there's something being left out, but they're not telling me the whole story. And so what I've enjoyed so far with you and Jason is that I get to hear at least, you know, an approximation of sort of both sides of these debates. And then I'll and then I'm able to kind of like make up a judgment based on how compelling the arguments you guys are making are and uh, whether or not I agree with them. I've and it's not I don't. I actually think just as a business model, it's like as I pull this out to 10,000 feet, I think there's a huge audience for this, Jason. I really do. I think there's a lot of people out there who are so sick and tired of like the throat cutting going on and they're just and they don't like being spun and they just want to hear people debate and and actually bring and, and do so in good faith. I mean, that's that's right. really where we are, you and I um, like, you know, there's a I know you've done a lot of television yeah. and you and I have had this conversation. It's so much easier to debate somebody when you don't know them personally. So like right. if if a TV network calls you and puts you on television to debate and you don't know who your opponent is, boy, that's easy. Then it's like, you know, it's a spike fest. You're like, who cares? Whatever. I don't know this guy. But see, Jason and I have made the mistake of like talking on the phone at length and like having dinner together. And like and now and, we've, and our wives have met each other. Now it's now it's real. Now it's like, oh, God, I know this guy personally. So as a result, I think it's going to improve the nature of these conversations. You and I can, you know, hash this stuff out. We know at the end of the day, the other person's not coming at it in bad faith. And, uh, and you know, maybe we can, maybe we could, you know, score some points in terms of influencing people or even each other. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree. And, you know, I'm going to text your wife and tell her you called me crazy. And be like, <laughs> like, Vince is off the rails. You got to wow, talk. Wow. Very me. sensitive. Very <laughs> no, sensitive. I'm no, 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 no. But, um. You know, I, I agree, and I hope that's the case. You know, um, I think people do enjoy hearing their their opinions spouted back to them. For sure. From someone they consider to be an expert. 
You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's mm-hmm. like, wow, I like that. Um, and I, I think we are trying something new. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think it's been tried in some cases, but usually it's just people yelling at each other or it's five people sitting at a table and there's one liberal or there's one conservative. Like uh-huh. I would watch some of the CNN coverage. Yes. Um, shout out to CNN if you want to bring me on. But uh, I watched some <laughs> of the CNN coverage, you know, during the election and it would be, yeah. you know, eight liberals and then you'd have Rick Santorum. You know, that's I mean? right. And, and let's be honest. Rick Santorum is not Vince Colonnese or, you know, he's not like the genius. You know, he's not Vince Colonnese boy genius. He is. I hate to tell you. I, I mean, I, I appreciate the compliment. Rick Santorum is a pretty smart guy, actually. Ooh, Rick Santorum. Really? And, you know, yeah, he is. And you know something, you know something about him that you would like. If I swear to you, if you sat down with Rick Santorum, you would walk away and you would like him a lot more. This is one of those things where, where like, if you haven't met the guy yet, you should. Because in Rick's case, Rick actually cares about working people, like Rick, way more than like your traditional Republican. He's he's very interested in the well-being of what we normally refer to as like working class Americans. That's that's his whole bag. Uh, so I think actually, Jason Nichols, you'd be very impressed with Rick Santorum as much as he's demonized big time, big time by sort of the institutional left. I think you would like him. Yeah, no, I, I would. Hey, we should bring him on the show. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, Actually, I, Rick I, would be good. Yeah, I, I'd be fine. He doesn't have that CNN contract, so he can he can come on the show now. Um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd be willing to, to talk to him. I'm willing to talk to, to anybody that I think will make a good faith argument. And, you right. know, um, but I, I my point wasn't necessarily to insult Rick Santorum. So I apologize <laughs> to Rick Santorum. Um, uh-huh. Maybe he is smart. But he's not given the opportunity because there were eight people, you know, with arguments just waiting to pounce on him every time. He Did you? And I know we're like, I know we're like way off course now, but I just can't help but ask. Did you see that Don Lemon said, I think it was 24 hours ago, he said he was promoting something, something he's got going on. But he was on the morning show on CNN and he suggested that, you know, uh, what we should do as a network and as a media, we should really stop focusing on Donald Trump. We, we talk about Donald Trump way too much. Uh, which, which uh, <laughs> I had to laugh. Cause I was like, really? Cause I'm pretty sure like CNN, like they can't stop talking about that. Like, that's like one of the critical rat pieces of, uh, the recipe for ratings. You, you got to talk about Trump yeah. or, or else you don't have a show. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that's, that's true on the left and the right. He has been gold ratings gold. Um, but I also think he's a consequential American. Like he is, he is important. Uh, because there are millions of people that hang on his every word. Maybe they don't read his blog, but they hang on his every word. Um, and to the point where he, and for a small segment of America, he's almost a messianic f- figure, which is scary. Um, so I think that we do need to be aware of those kinds of things. If we ignore him, and, th- and I was hearing Maggie Haberman make the same argument. And I'm kind of, to be honest, I haven't fully made up my mind about who's right because Mm -hmm. some people are like let's stop talking about donald trump we did this in 2016 that's what propelled him and you know made him popular because he was such a a liberal boogeyman you know that the right was like well let's hear what this guy has to say you know what i mean my adversary my enemy which is a sad thing that we look at each other that way but we do you know doesn't like him so he must be okay Mm. and then there's the other side that says you know if we ignore him then you get you know really dangerous things 
uh, being said, and you're just, you're underestimating him. Everybody said that he wasn't going to win in 2016. And then he kept winning, he kept winning, and then he won. Right. Because we ignored him and thought, oh, it's not possible. I'll tell you, I was in, in, in 2016, I went to, to Saudi Arabia. And uh, on, on a trip sponsored by the State Department, it, was, it was, had nothing to do with government. Don't try to turn me into anything. <laughs> but it was like, you know, I was doing some artistic things and working with young people. Um, mm -hmm. And so we were there and we were meeting people in the community. And with some of the things that Donald Trump had said about Muslims, of course, he's an ally of Saudi Arabia in many ways and the Wahhabi kind of thing they have going there. But, you I know, he's, but, a, he's not an ally to Wahhabism. Uh, he's an ally to, to MBS. <laughs> he's certainly cool with MBS. He's cool with, you know, with not Wahhabism. I'll take that back. But he's okay. certainly uh, <laughs> an ally to Saudi Arabia. You know what I mean? He was he was very yeah. friendly with the Saudis. Um, in the way that he was friendly with, you know, a lot of American adversaries. Yes, he saw um, them as a piece of a piece of the effort to try and bring peace to the Middle East. He was trying to to work with those guys. Yeah, uh, you know, we can we can talk about that another day. But you, you got know, it. one of the things they were at the time very afraid because of some of the things he had said about Islam and about Muslims uh, and about banning them and and many other things. And I'll admit, we were all there. We were like, yeah, you know, he said some things. Um, but, you know, because we were listening to the polls and the experts, we were dismissing it. We were like, you know, he's probably not going to win. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, there's a slim chance he's going to win, but he's probably not going to win. Um, and then he won. So that's the Maggie Haberman argument. And then there are other people on the other side who say, you know, we talk about him so much, we boost him up and yeah. make him more important. So, Sometimes you forget Joe Biden is even the president because, you know, it's Trump this, Trump that, Trump lost, right. Trump, you know, and, and so I, I'm kind of caught in between. I'm not exactly sure where I stand. Let me, let me, uh, let me add a third option because I actually think that those two choices uh, that often are presented are false. And here's why. It's not really about like whether the media like breathes life into him or ignores him and all of a sudden somehow gives him life. Like it seems like both options are like enabling Trump. What if, and, I, and, I, and I'm confident this is true. What if like America elects a guy like Donald Trump because the establishment had so poorly served them in the first place, right? So like the media, which is like very interested in like giving us stories that like constantly whip us into a frenzy, has quite obviously poorly served us. I mean, you can look back, go back to just in this century, weapons of mass de uh, of mass destruction and the role that the media played in whipping America into war in Iraq uh, without the evidence to actually support that. Um, you know, the more modern examples where, you know, the, just the Wuhan lab leak theory that we, you and I have been talking about and how the media just complete, it was just a complete disaster. They, they took up on behalf of a completely bogus uh, elite consensus that they should never should have, but they, you know, they did it because they're their friends and they didn't like Trump and they took up the opposite positions. Like none of like, you know, a, a healthy country, a healthy country that trusts its institutions doesn't have to turn to Donald J. Trump to become president of the United States. So the real conversation the media should be having is not whether, oh, how much more do we put Trump on TV or how much little do we put Trump, how little do we put Trump on TV? How about how do we make people trust us again so they don't have to turn to Donald J. Trump to be the next president of the United States? 
Well, I, I think there's there's an argument there. I don't know if it's an argument, but I will say that there is like, well, first of all, I agree with you that there are certain elements of, of our media and of our society uh, that are twisted and will get us, you know, uh, a reality star to be president of the United States. And I'm not trying to say that in orange man bag kind of way. No. I'm saying like, you know, we have this distrust of the media. We have this distrust of politicians. Yes. And it's been earned where a guy who is an outsider, we think of a guy who's literally a billionaire who flies around on private jets as an outsider. Was there you ever know? a point, was there ever a point yeah. where you, you like I, I remember talking to some Democrats before Donald Trump ever announced a run for president. Like for real, I spoke to Democrats who uh, just regular voters who would say stuff like, you know, I don't think I would ever vote for a Republican unless Donald Trump ran for president. Man, that guy, when he talks, he says things that like I totally agree with, like, you know, being sold out to China and everyone, you know, everyone taking us for a ride and the Iraq war being a disaster and just like the stuff that he's been saying especially on trade policy in China. Like, was there ever a point like prior to Donald Trump becoming like a real deal presidential candidate in the 2016 cycle where you, Jason Nichols, were like, yeah, I kind of agree with some of that stuff he's saying. Um, no. Uh, well, so to me, Donald Trump in terms of politics rose to, to prominence with birtherism. And so with that, I, I was like, this is insane. You know what I mean? Like, this is like some really weird stuff. And that that's when he actually, you know, rose into my consciousness as a political figure. I see. Was going around and saying that, you know, the president of the United States was not an American citizen, despite the fact that he was born to an American citizen. Right. That's always been, by the way, thing. by the way, that's always been the thing that I'm like, okay, look, here's the deal. Like, regardless of where he was born, his mother was American. I, I don't, I'm not really sure what it's, the dispute would be. It's not even in question, but that was the whole thing. And, you know, it, it was like such a, uh, an absurd thing. And then, you know, some of the, you know, the, on top of the racial implications of birtherism, in, in itself, in and of itself, there was the whole thing about him releasing his transcript, which, by the way, mm -hmm. we still haven't seen Donald Trump's transcripts. And by the way, as a college, you know, person who teaches college courses, who cares? Like, I don't care about what you got in college. That doesn't even say anything to me. Where right. do you I guess it matters. I guess it matters. Like, oh, it doesn't in, matter, bro. In, well, here's here's where it would matter, I think. It's it'd be like if you if you had sort of like a radical upbringing, if if like your upbringing in college, if the things you were learning were completely out of step with with the country and the voters, that would be worthwhile to know. Like, you know, especially because Obama went to pretty good schools and with some of the top professors in the country. And if you know, if some of the ideas that he was pulling in were like, you know, pretty radical, that's worthwhile for voters to know about. And by the way, to your point about Trump. I've always been for transparency. I've always been for seeing, you know, tax records. I've always been for seeing transcripts. I think that that you know, running for president is just one of those jobs where you should be gratuitously transparent so, about so your you, life. You have you have you are critical of Donald Trump for not being transparent, for not releasing his transcripts, for not releasing his tax returns 
for not being transparent. I just want I wanted I wanted I wanted him on Twitter because for, I don't I don't want to just I don't not just as an issue of support for him or anything. I think that presidents expressing themselves is a public service. Like the thought process that they're actually going through, I'm for it. So yes, I want I want to see Trump's taxes as a, as a political candidate. Now that became a moot point in the event that because he refused to do it. He refused to do it. So really the question becomes how long do you do you hang on to it and be like, okay, that's the most important thing. Same thing with Obama, right? Yeah. So Obama doesn't release his transcripts. We never get those. Eventually, you kind of just have to get off of that horse and say, okay, there's a million reasons to indict Obama, To I mean, from my perspective, a million political reasons to go after him. There's a million things he's done while he's been president. Let's take those on. You know, I could I could hang up on the transcripts forever if I wanted to, but look, that fight is over. He He prevailed in not being transparent on that. Okay, but, let's I mean, move on to the next thing. I don't want to see Trump's transcripts or Obama's transcripts, but what I do know is Obama was president of the Harvard Law Review. Like you're not like an idiot and and you, you know, or you're not good at what you do and you become president of the Harvard Law Review. And we have his and as far as his professors, I don't care his professors may have published one thing that doesn't mean he had the same opinion. And we have his own publications and and the things that he was being that he was teaching when he taught law, right. uh, I think at the University of Chicago. So my thing is, let's focus on where he is and what he's done, and and that's those are the kinds of things that I think are material. Him being, you know, he got a C in you know art class in college. Like none <laughs> of that means anything to me. I wish he that was the Donald actual Trump. scandal. I don't need to see Donald Trump's transcript. Now his tax returns, I think, are a little bit different. Um, and we're now seeing how important, you know, some of that is. Can I, because can I say on the tax return debate, how, how, uh, yeah, one of the, one of the, the strikes against him. So Trump would come out and he would constantly say, um, I can't release my tax returns because yeah. it's under audit. Yeah. And by the way, the New York times uh, proved that the New York times did some reporting and they're like, actually his tax returns are under audit. That's true. Uh, um, so he would say, I can't release them because they're under audit. Cause that's the advice I'm getting from my lawyer not to release them. And then the left, the always the rejoinder would always be like, that doesn't mean he can't release them. He should, he definitely should release them. And yeah, you can think that, but like it makes sense, you know, regardless of whatever you think of Trump, it would make sense that if you are under audit and your attorney advises you, like, hey, don't subject your under audit taxes to public scrutiny. That, that does that that makes no sense for you. Um, I could see why he would take that that route. Okay. Right? So I I can I can agree. So was he under audit for every year? You know, could could he get I mean, was it he was under audit for 2015 or 2014 or can we is there some amount of tax returns that he could have produced that were somewhat recent that weren't under audit? Or does it take them, you know, 20 years? And, I, and I'm pretty sure that Biden released 30 years of, of tax returns mm -hmm, or something like mm -hmm. that. Like, could we see something, you know, uh, up to that point where he's under audit? So I, I, I don't know that I buy that. I mean, I get, I get, you know, your, your point in terms of, um, you know, they're under audit. My attorney is saying, let's not release them. I have a lot of assets. These are things that I'm going to keep private. Yeah, and you I don't need, you don't need like every single, you know, economic political operative in the planet, like reviewing your tax returns right. and then well, assisting the IRS in an effort to go after them. Right. Well, I'll say, um, you know, I don't think I, to me, unless Trump did something illegal, 
Mm-hmm. I don't see why he wouldn't just release them because the thing is, it, we saw his failures in Atlantic City, you know, and, and you can read Jack O'Donnell's book. You can, you know, talk to Jack O'Donnell. Like the things that they were doing and the, the way that they failed after really being in a good place in Atlantic City and then just completely botching that and destroying basically the entire city. Like, and, you know, him not paying, you know, his creditors and not paying, you know, people like contractors, working people, people who work with their hands, who needed that money, who were excited about working on a Donald Trump project, him stiffing them of the money. You know, if that didn't affect him with working class people in the Rust Belt, mm-hmm. when some contractor from New Jersey says, yeah, I had a small company with like 10 employees and Donald Trump you know, called me in his office and said he wasn't going to pay me. Yeah, this is one of those things. This is one of those things that has been, I think, so distorted by political debate that it's actually hard to know what's true. Because, like, for instance, there's a lot of stories of complete generosity on the part of Donald Trump, especially to to poor people. Both can be true. And and (laughs) additionally, on the issue with contractors, you know, one of the things that we often heard was that a lot of this had to do about services rendered, that Trump would drive a hard bargain if he felt like things were behind schedule and they weren't to the contract, they weren't up to the specs that he wanted then he would cut the fees down because he thought that he was entitled to, to a more complete project. So he had disputes with contractors, no question. If you, by the way, if, you, if you're involved in like any project where you're ever building anything, um, boy, that is a mess. I mean, in terms of just like getting contractors and subcontractors to work yeah. with you and deliver on time and shortages of materials and whatever it takes, whatever it is. Left um, and right agreement there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough deal. But you know, it's funny. It's, but this kind of goes back to my original point. Like, you know, Trump, like, is a great figure for occupying our conversations. There's so much you could talk about him when uh, with. But I just think that the country that elects Donald Trump is the one that basically wants somebody who says what they're thinking. That's and that's why Trump got elected in the first place, sure. is that is that this system is screwing us and it's it's serving interests that aren't aren't ours. And. So when Trump says that, damn, it's appealing. And that's what that's how he got elected in the first place. I mean, you can there's I think there's a lot of people who've tried to like come up with complicated explanations for all of this. I don't think it's that complicated. I think it's just that like somebody was finally calling out sort of the grotesque bipartisan establishment. He's still on that primary debate stage. It was like hell with these other Republicans. Hell with you, Jeb Bush. Hell with you. And he went down the list. Um, and a lot of people were like, holy crap. I mean, and look what he did. I mean. Yeah, no, it, it's incredible. And, and I would 100% agree that, you know, he cut to the chase and said what a lot of Americans were feeling. And there were a lot of Americans who were charmed by that. And there were right. a lot of Americans who saw what it was that he was actually feeling. And the fact that he was able, you know, he said it with impunity, I think that were really afraid by that. And I think both. Both sides, you know, had probably uh, good reasons to to feel the way they did. Like, hey, this is a politician that's not lying to me. Which, right? Again, we can talk about the confirmed lies that Donald so, Trump told. So, but in the end, telling you what is what he's thinking. He's kind of stream of consciousness. Yeah. Speaks. And but before we before we do that, let let's let's kind of backtrack a little bit. Okay. Because the, the, the point before we got on to 20 minutes of Donald Trump um, was 
I, I think what I was trying to say before right. was that Obama came in and because my point really wasn't about Trump. It was more about Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. But Obama came in looking for compromise. And there were some Republicans who wanted to compromise with President Obama or wanted to work with the President Obama they, or with the President of the United States. They saw this as part of their duty. Um, guys who were staunch conservatives like like uh, Boehner and like um, Cantor. But they had to literally, Boehner had to go visit the President of the United States in the middle of the night and sneak in a side door, you know, because he was scared of his own party knowing that he was actually meeting with the President in good faith. And that's what worries me about, you know, what, what you were saying earlier about Vincent Jason Save the Nation. You know, I love this project. I love getting away from the cable news talking points and right. yelling at people yelling at each other um, and all of that kind of stuff, that short form debate. Let me just yeah. try to slam dunk on the next guy. I'm 100% with you on that. And that's why I'm so excited about this project. But, you know, I did get a little worried when I read the comments. I'm like, oh, you know, I said that I was going to comment and engage with our audience and all that. And, I, and, you know, it, it brought me back to that place where it was like, you know, we were so segmented and there's no work across the aisle. Mm-hmm. All that kind of collegiality, uh, you know, was just gone. And the people who tried to cross that, there's people like there was, you know, I, I did see one comment. I promise I won't read comments anymore. But one was like, yeah, this is just Vince Colonnese is in the center and it's, you know, the crazy leftist, you know, this isn't the daily call, like that kind of thing. And I'm like, they don't even respect you as, as somebody who's on the right because you're willing to talk. <laughs> don't to tell me president. about this. I don't want to know about any of this. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I apologize. But, you know, like they, the, the thing is, uh-huh. like we, we are so siloed that we can't even come together. And it it's all good, like, man. I, I, look, affect me a little bit. Look, it's, it's it, you, first of all, uh, I'm totally happy to, to see comments. I'm being silly. I don't, I don't mind seeing comments. I, I just, and some of them I take seriously, you know, the people I take the most seriously in my life. And I think every single person within the sound of our voices would agree. It's like, take your family seriously and the people you care about. Absolutely. And then beyond that, and then beyond that, like, you know, if somebody gives you a good idea and they've got a good reasonable argument, even if they're a complete stranger, be open-minded. I've get, I get emails from all the time from people who I do not know. I've never met in my life, but if they make a compelling argument, I'm open-minded about it. Um, and so, so anyway, I'm open to arguments. I'm not open to insults. That's the thing. For like, sure. If yeah. you want to, and that's what I was looking for. I was looking for, okay, I want to engage the audience. Um, I want to, you know, hear what people have to say and be like, you know, Hey guys, great show, but I disagree. Dr. Nichols said this, his statistics are wrong, blah, 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 blah. You know, and we could have that kind of discussion. Um, and I was excited about it being Vincent Jason Save the Nation. But like you said, in one of our things, and I think our, our promo video yeah. was, do you want to join our mission? Yes. You know, if you're left or right, we're all saving the nation. It's not just me and you. It's, it's like, what can we come together on? And I think, you know, even in these discussions about corporate breed, uh, breed corporate greed, right. and, and those kinds of things, and we agree. And I think if I showed you a picture of Paige Hernandez in college, you would agree she was hot and I deserved that date. 
But, you know uh, something? I honestly, you know who really benefited from overdraft fees? It's Paige Hernandez's current husband. He he absolutely. really lucked out. He really lucked out. <laughs> and my wife. Overdraft fees. Yeah. Stop Jason Nichols that day. <laughs> absolutely. Jason, but, um, I think we, Jason, I think we got to leave it there, man. I've got, I've got to run. I've got some other stuff to do today, but I, I, this is just, if this is a clear sign that you and I have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so if you want to actually join our mission, be a part of this, uh, you know, this left-right discussion, um, you know, definitely like, definitely subscribe, get notifications, subscribe on the Daily Caller YouTube, on uh, all, anywhere you can find a podcast, Apple, uh, Spotify, and many other places. Join us, send the videos to a friend, get a friend to tell a friend. Definitely leave us a five-star rating if you see that as well. And yeah, we're going to continue to tell you honest and, conversation. And, yeah. And make sure that you leave a comment that says, Dr. Jason Nichols was fantastic. I do have some <laughs> issues with some of the things he said. And here are my fact-based arguments for why they were a problem. <laughs> exactly. Be like, he's really handsome. He has a great plan <laughs> and a great picture. But yes, here's my where one I objection. My one objection. <laughs> Uh, is based on this this fact, which I, I've re researched aggressively. Uh, th thanks a lot, Jason. This was a good chat as always, man. Absolutely. Anytime. And thank you to everybody who's watching and, and listening.